Welcome to a patient safety podcast from Crico. Crico is the patient safety and medical malpractice company owned by and serving the Harvard medical community since 1976. A 53-year-old male called his PCP's office complaining of worsening heartburn and requested a visit to see if there might be a different medication he might try. His past medical history included a 10-year history of gastroesophageal reflux disease, as well as COPD, elevated cholesterol, borderline hypertension, smoking, and chronic back pain. During the exam, he explained that he has been taking Prilosec 20 milligrams daily as prescribed, but his acid reflux was coming more frequently in the past week. He tried taking extra Toms, but this has not helped. On exam, his blood pressure was 150 over 90, his weight was 205 pounds, his height was 5'10". His physician talked to him about some strategies, including avoiding heavy meals, no meals within two hours of going to bed, and elevating the head of his bed at night. In addition, he told him to increase his Prilosec. A follow-up appointment was scheduled for a month later to check his symptoms. His doctor also asked him to call the office if his symptoms got any worse in the meantime. The next day, the patient was found dead at home. Cause of death, cardiac arrest. The family sued the primary care physician, alleging negligent failure to diagnose acute MI, resulting in death. The case was settled in the high range. To discuss the patient safety and risk management aspects of this case, we are joined now by Dr. Tom Sequist. Dr. Sequist is Director of Research and Clinical Program Evaluation at Atrius Health, an integrated network of multi-specialty group practices in central and eastern Massachusetts. And Tom, thank you for joining us. Where do we start to look at this case as a a way to learn how to improve our diagnostic process? So I think one of the important points that this case highlights is the issue of narrow differential diagnosis when we're evaluating the management of chest pain in the primary care setting. Many times what happens when we're evaluating chest pain is that we fail to include acute myocardial infarction on the differential diagnosis for a variety of reasons. One of those reasons may be that we arrive at a clinical diagnosis too early in the diagnostic process, and so we don't consider a broad enough spectrum of conditions that could be contributing to the patient's symptoms. In this particular case, what happened was that the patient had their own explanatory model for their symptoms. That explanatory model may have been communicated through the triage process, either through the triage nursing staff or the medical assistant checking the patient into the office, and that information ultimately gets conveyed to the evaluating clinician. It can be challenging, it can be challenging for clinicians to overcome that um, explanatory model and come up with a more broad differential diagnosis, in, which in this case would, would have included acute myocardial infarction. Why do you think uh, acute MI is most frequently missed in this setting? I think one of the most frequent reasons for failing to diagnose acute MI in this setting is not including acute MI on the differential diagnosis. I know that sounds like an obvious thing, but there are many instances where we attribute um, delays in diagnosis delays in diagnosis to be because of uh, lack of uh, a lack of access to the required information to make the diagnosis. In this setting, what we're, we're often finding is that clinicians aren't aren't including acute MI on the differential. The reason, many times, the reason for that is a lack of recognition of the underlying uh, cardiac risk factors that a patient may have and that the contribution of those risk factors may ultimately increase the risk of having an acute MI um, in, your, in your office setting when they're presenting with chest pain. Now, you've been an advocate of using the Framingham Risk Score. Is that something that's uh, available to anybody and uh, practical to use? Is it, a, is it a way to sort of 
um, sort of further evaluate and make sure that this set of symptoms is not associated with a, an acute MI? Yes, I think there's a, there's a short answer to that is yes, it is widely available, and we do think that it's an important tool for evaluating chest pain in the primary care setting. The longer answer to that is that we've done several years' worth of research in the primary care setting to evaluate patients who present with chest pain and further to understand whether or not their Framingham risk score at the time that they present is an accurate predictive tool and diagnosing acute MI for those patients. What we found is that it is a fairly good uh, predictive tool for, for risk stratifying your patient population in terms of those who are and are not likely to be experiencing an acute MI when they present to you with chest pain. So how good of a tool is it? We, do, we think that it is about, has about equivalent sensitivity and specificity to a routine exercise stress test in, in patients, uh, primary care patients presenting with chest pain. Now, the challenge there is that we know that the prevalence of acute MI in the primary care population of patients who present with chest pain is very low. It's only about 1% to 2%. So only about 1% to 2% of your patients with chest pain will actually experience an MI. So it's very hard to create a, a tool, a diagnostic tool, that will be 100% accurate when the prevalence of the condition that you're looking for is so low. So what that means is if our... If, if our um, diagnostic tool has any lack of specificity, meaning that it sometimes says that a patient may be having an acute MI when they're not. Well, if your prevalence is so low, you're actually, you are going to identify, potentially identify many patients who aren't having an acute MI through using the tool and vice versa. We may miss some cases where the patient, um, you know, has a low Framingham risk score and not a lot of cardiac risk factors, but ultimately is having an acute MI. We definitely know that to be true. So we don't advocate the use of the Framingham risk score as the end-all um, evaluation for patients with chest pain. What we really advise clinicians to do is to use it as one important tool in their overall evaluation. In particular, what we advocate for is that anyone who presents with chest pain in the primary care setting have a Framingham risk score calculated. If that Framingham risk score is above at least 10%, we would advocate that those patients have at least an electrocardiogram performed. The reason why we think this is so important is that we know that many patients who have a missed diagnosis of acute MI in the outpatient setting failed to have an EKG performed when they were evaluated by their primary care clinician. Actually, 50% of the cases of a missed MI in the primary care setting were characterized by failure to have an EKG even performed. So what we feel is should be done is that patients should at least have this initial tool um, use the Framingham risk score calculation so that we can identify that upper percentage of patients who really do need a more aggressive evaluation, which would in include an EKG. What are some misconceptions about EKG use, uh, especially in the diagnostic process? One of the things that doctors really worry a lot about is misinterpreting the electrocardiogram. So the patient comes in with chest pain, you've done the EKG, and you're concerned that you may be missing subtle signs of an acute MI. We've done a, several evaluations of the evaluation of chest pain and, and acute MI in the primary care setting, and by far we find that the problem with electrocardiograms is not primary care physicians misinterpreting them. The problem is primary care physicians not doing the EKG in the first place. So it's actually pretty uncommon for primary care physicians to misinterpret the electrocardiogram in the presence of an acute MI. It's unfortunately fairly common for primary care physicians not to do an EKG in the presence of an acute MI. When we talk about uh, missed MI in the diagnostic process in the ambulatory setting, are there also confounding issues in terms of how patients present and symptoms? 
One of the misconceptions out there regarding the misdiagnosis of acute MI is that it most often happens in the presence of what are called atypical symptoms. So we would miss the acute MI if it happened in the presence of, let's say, nausea and no chest pain for a diabetic, or if it happens only in the presence of upper back pain with no chest pain or no trouble breathing. It's very important to note that in all the analyses we've looked at of acute MI in the outpatient setting, 75% or more of the cases involved typical symptoms, which would be either chest pain or shortness of breath. Thank you, Dr. Tom Sequist, is Director of Research and Clinical Program Evaluations at Atrius, an integrated network of multi-specialty group practices. I'm Tom Agello. This has been a patient safety podcast from CRICO. More information about CRICO and efforts at Harvard to deliver the safest healthcare in the world is available on our website at www.rmf.harvard.edu.